Annabelle Lacroix hosts a conversation on social dissonance with Martine, Elena Bisserna and Toby Mayer in relation to her curatorial project from wakefulness to consciousness. The project investigates the politics of sleep and sleeplessness. Focused on the desynchronization of the body and society the central aspect of this project is to re-appropriate nighttime and use insomnia to open a space for listening. From Wakefulness to Sleeplessness will be presented on Disclaimer with a program of performances, screenings and talks. Hi everyone, we're here for a conversation between uh, Martin, Elena Becena, Toby Meyer and myself uh, on social dissonance. I'm Annabelle Lacroix and I'm uh, here in Paris at the Fondation Fimanco. We are doing this uh, conversation for uh, Liquid Architecture's uh, Disclaimer journal, which I'm currently editing. This edition uh, is called From Wakefulness to Consciousness. And it's part of a, a wider project that focuses on the politics of sleeplessness and here uh, particularly through sound and listening. So we have uh, here uh, Martin, who is a cross-disciplinary artist working with noise, improvisation and dissonance. His work, Social Dissonance, was presented at Documenta 14 in 2017. Martin is currently in Berlin. We also uh, have Elena Bissena uh, with us for the conversation, who is a scholar and independent curator who's based in Marseille. And Elena, you work mainly um, at the intersection of uh, the public space, social and political uh, sphere, and how sounds have its agency at the intersection of these uh, spaces. And Toby Meyer, you're the current director of Lisbon's uh, municipal uh, galleries, and you undertook a project currently with Martin, um, his series Expanding Concept, that just happened a, a few weeks ago. So welcome everyone and thank you so much for uh, doing this uh, Skype conversation as we are um, all in, in different places and and for most of us uh, in, uh, in lockdown as well. So I might just uh, start by um, saying why I wanted to do this uh, conversation looking into Martin's uh, social dissonance because I'm doing this uh, project on um, insomnia and focusing on on this um, experience and uh, an idea also as a form of dissonance in a normative society that is uh, defined by really strict rhythms as well as structures of time that are connected to the evolution of uh, all labor in society. So I'm interested in insomnia through listening as a way of bringing attention to what is usually concealed and unheard or left in, in the dark, but also as a form of alarm bell to aspects of dehumanization in society and its binary systems. So I'm interested in the possibility for coexistence of rhythms um, as well as the, as the effect of dissonances. So I thought it would be really interesting to have this conversation, um, as Martin suggested it, because he's uh, working on publishing his research that will uh, come out uh, in a few months. So thank you for all being here. And um, I might uh, start with asking Martin about this concept of 
social dissonance with also the the subjects of your PhD research and uh, and the score that was performed at Documenta, uh, both in Castle and Athens. So we will use this experience as all of us um, actually went and experienced um, the score as a base for our conversation. So Martin, you um, have uh, in a sense condensed the idea of social dissonance being the discrepancy between individual narcissism and our social capacity. And it's also quite important for you that dissonance is scored. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about what you mean with this. Yeah, I guess um, more than capacity is determination. I guess the whole idea came out of an investigation of the concept of alienation, and through this, um, I came up to kind of, um, but but the concept of alienation or, uh, or my interest in the concept of alienation, it kind of emerged from my emerged from my practice in improvisation, and there was something that I found problematic in improvisation that had to do with the way that you proposed a certain idea of freedom, or that just by default we had a capacity to act. But it didn't interrogate how this idea of freedom was connected to certain idea of the individual, a certain notion of in the you know of the individual in 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 the liberal sense. So you know, as an individual, as an individual, you were able to express something or to you know or to freely you know improvise. And I guess seeing the way that in the last years. The society has developed, you know, maybe in the 60s, in the 70s, they had the idea, the possibility of actually achieving some kind of forms of uh, collective freedom. This could have made sense. But these days to, you know, just presuppose that we have this freedom by default is uh, one will have to interrogate what type of freedom is this. So the concept of alienation helped me to understand that there is a way that we conceive the individual in Western democracies, let's say, which at the formal level gives you certain rights and certain capacities to act. But this is a very questionable type of freedom. And we can see that at the social level, we are determined uh, very much so, and you know, a proof of that is that uh, we cannot see the possibility of collectively changing the course of history. I of having a different type of system that is not the capitalist one. So we can see, you know, like I mean, the famous sentence is, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world at the end of capitalism. So, so then, why? You know what? What do we talk when we talk about freedom, and why is it that uh, we still strive towards it and like we try to protect it? But is it there? Uh, I'm, I'm my realization, which obviously I'm not the only one, is that it's not there. So, so then there things that the, the social dissonance is this cognitive, a form of cognitive uh, dissonance at the structural level. That says, okay, you have certain values which had to do with praising freedom as the ultimate kind of, you know, what we live for somehow. But then, uh, at the every, everyday 
level or in our lives, we see that this type of freedom is extremely limited and we are constantly determined, socially determined by things that we cannot basically change. So I think this generates a kind of um, a conflict, you know, a dissonance. It, it generates a, a problems in our own self-conception, you know. We have a problematic self-conception, you know, that that's what I wanted to experiment. It's a form of mental noise. So then, you know, it's not that the, then it became clear that it's not that I need to generate noise in the sonic sense or in any form, you know, the noise is already there. So it's a matter of kind of trying to let it uh, appear, let's, let's deal with it. Let's deal with this kind of mental social noise. So this is where the ideas kind of came from and what the notion of social dissonance is for me. Mm. And it's also, um, I was thinking when you were talking about being socially determined, is also that the forms of this sociality is as well determined and usually set and repeated in the same way, in the sense that the way that music and performance, for example, happens and the way we as an audience engage with the space and with each other and our expectations when we attend a performance is, is already very much set in this context. So that this was also equally, I feel like this was also equally important in your, in your reflection. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, um, yeah, this is interesting. This idea, well, kind of came, I, ha I have this idea, okay, how can one introduce uh, social realism into improvisation. So I was trying to do that, and a friend said to me, "These days, you, it's, it's not social realism; it's anti-social realism. You know, mm. because there is a kind of level of asociality that is occurring. You know, so then I tried to kind of constantly make a parallel or dealing how the conventions." or the way that we behave in the specific concert venue or whatever the activity is taking place relates to what is happening outside in everyday reality. Or furthermore, how the acceptance of certain, of certain social conventions in that space is a reflection of the impossibility of changing things at the structural level. You know, So from the very, very micro, to that kind of broad and see if that kind of, there is something there which one can make a connection or at least play with, you know. So this is something that I find, I found it kind of productive to, to, to kind of question that idea of freedom or, you know, to, to try to make visible or to deal with, you know, those kind of parameters that, that are accepted by default, but actually are those that constrain what we can do in a specific, in a given situation. So, so, so that was important for me, I guess. Yeah. So, in as part of of this, I guess what's important to to point is that you were not looking at deconstructing this situation, but rather social dissonance is about sort of 
a construction and a formation of social relations that is like part of the a very strong sort of idea within the structure is is not to deconstruct as a lot of sort of art movements have been trying to do until now but your your position is quite the opposite is actually that things could po possibly change if we all collectively uh, create this new sociality uh, it's something that has to be built as opposed to be deconstructed yeah i yeah that's that would be amazing that would be really <laughs> yeah, that, but, but i definitely i, I mean is, that's a very ambitious task and i guess social dissonance for me was the step before or you know like mm. kind of acting it but trying to show why it's not it's not that possible you know wh mm. what is it you know what is it that it doesn't allow us to and and, and I, I don't know maybe you had similar feeling through the you know through your experience social dissonance but it's just like constantly falling you know constantly like you know being trapped into you know some kind of situation that is you know, it points towards, you know, building something, but it's just like constantly collapsing, you know, and the question is why, you know, that's, so it's more a, a kind of prior, you know, it's not taking for granted that we can already build something, at least exploring, if we try to build something, however humble this something might be, can we, or can we not? If we cannot, why is it, you know, so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it would be great to build something, but the question is, can we? You know, and mm. that's... Um, I had the impression that you were kind of building a sort of transitory phase uh, where we are supposed to experience uh, in a very constructed situation the contradiction and alienation we all experience in our everyday life, sometimes without noticing. So, like, building this world situation that amplifies this uh, contradiction uh, so that eventually we can uh, recognize that contradiction in a stronger way or in a controlled environment in a way, and then uh, prolong this uh, this recognition uh, towards what is uh, what was outside of that performance space in a way. So I had the impression that the experience you were kind of building was really conceived as a transitory space uh, and time absolutely yeah i think you describe it very well yeah i think we we could say also for people who haven't uh, experienced the work how it, it happened describe it a little bit because it was um, particular in the sense that you inhabited both castle and athens um, so there was a, a space that was dedicated to this work where I think, I can't remember if you had to book, but I think you could walk in. I think there were sessions um, every, where there was a schedule where you could sort of turn up and, and come to the space. I attended the one in Athens and I think I remember there was no windows. It was a very sort of dark room, but there was a screen and there was um, a sort of a live feed that was, uh, that was taken from both rooms in Catalan and Athens and you walked in and you really didn't really know what you were getting into other than perhaps if um, like myself you sort of knew Martin's work you sort of know you were up for something that was going to challenge your expectations or perhaps nothing was going to happen 
but I feel like for me, as opposed to maybe previous work, it was actually quite eventful in the sense that things were happening because you had some facilitators. So in each uh, room, I think there were two, uh, if I remember correctly. But those facilitators at the beginning in my session didn't do anything really. <laughs> but then I think they explained that the session was based on a journalistic event that was reported in the news and explained that it was related to someone on the bus who complained to the police for a sexual aggression. And in essence, there was this uh, current debate at the time whether the act that was, what happened on the bus, whether it was um, uh, judged as an aggression or not, basically. So that was sort of fueling the public debate at the time. So our session sort of started unfolding around, around this question. How was it for you, Toby, when you uh, experienced social dissonance? Um, I was not in Athens. I was in Kassel very briefly to see Martin's work. I think it was um, a moment where I could maybe get a glimpse of the conceptual idea of connecting Kassel with um, with um, with Athens and making this kind of transnational documenta more palpable for a general audience, which uh, maybe didn't have a chance to see both editions. No, so I think it was this sort of anchor perhaps in this Documenta Halle uh, rear gallery where um, this uh, big large-scale exhibition was kind of held together between the two continents by making this or by by, by making this direct connection uh, visible in the performance but I think my connection to Martin goes much further back um, to a time where improvisation was perhaps experienced uh, in a more musical uh, or, or instrumental sense and uh, with um, perhaps a, a more of a performer on stage present. So in that sense, the, the, castle, the castle iteration was sort of a, a very small moment in the trajectory of his work, I feel, although it certainly marked it and made it gain more visibility. Though in France, where you are, uh, with the exhibition at Cac Bretigny, he seems to have a, a particular resonance. And I think it's um, interesting to observe that because um, I feel that, uh, you know, there's also a philosophical um, sort of framework that is perhaps triggered by Deleuze and Guattari and then continued with Rancière and especially um, uh, Simondon, Gilbert Simondon, which I feel, which was, who was very important to me because he kind of outlined these ideas of individual characteristics um, prevailing within the collective um, or underlining the possibility of the individual characteristics actually uh, manifesting with more strength within the collective, thus uh, suppressing the notion that the individual gets lost within the collective. And um, I feel that there are a lot of 
connections there also to Augusto Boal and the Brazilian uh, theater that uh, of improvisation that uh, somehow opened the scope for the individual to contribute and co-create within a collective play. And for me, what is interesting in the conversation that you guys are opening up now is this question of the score versus the improvisation. Because um, you are speaking of the score, but then we are also speaking of the improvisation. And um, I think this is interesting uh, for me also within a curatorial understanding because in a, as a curator you often try to uh, score something, no? to lay something out, to create constellations of something and, he, and, and, and perhaps not leave everything up to improvisation. So uh, this um, gray space between, private, between the score and the I think we could within social dissonance discuss a little bit more um, aside from some of the uh, philosophers that perhaps um, are also playing within to uh, Martin's work. Mm, I think it's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned this, um, well, on one hand, um, on the philosophical reflection about Ancier, because in a sense, Ancier was able to, um, to argue that, in a sense, he sort of like rescued the spectator as a kind of empowered individual where whereby it's through this emancipation can also be a kind of intellectual experience. So I feel like that's a kind of also key moment in sort of the way we 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 understand performance nowadays and how we sort of also experience uh, Martin's work in a way that it was uh, an experience that was not like a regular stage performance. Uh, and there was um, a kind of emphasis on this. There was like a tension between the individual and the collective. And as you said, it's quite uh, interesting to unpack in the way. How do we place ourselves like within within the group? And do we feel instrumentalized, or do we have agency to to participate in a discussion? For example, I thought that yeah, this this tension also between individual and collective that you mentioned was was quite present. Yeah, and I mean, maybe also Sueli Rolnik, uh, the Brazilian uh, psychoanalyst, and her um, work on subjectivity plays in there, and her analysis of Ligia Clark, of course, and the Merbius strip, and the crossing of um, of of of, collect of various collective notions, not only social but also economic, uh, technological, uh, in terms of media, of course. That um, the the process of of collective creation um, is somehow based on a score, but leaves a space for improvisation. I'm not exactly sure. I think this is perhaps that something that we've been trying to enunciate with the expanding concert here. That there is a score sucked out uh, by the artist, but by inviting uh, different musicians uh, and writers uh, to add to this expanding concert, there is still ample room for improvisation. And by 
leaving this room of improvisation and for enunciation to take place up on stage and upon the extant, expanded stage with it, which, which is then the publication or the publications of texts, there is also this myriad voices somehow manifesting no? um, within the work. And I think in that way, over the years, and this project is laid out over five years, you would, or four years in five different spaces, you would then also be able to to somehow reflect upon uh, the passing of time. And I mean, the notion of time, of course, is a completely other chapter now. But I think that thus it would be sort of a manifestation and a documentation of uh, of a city in flux and a moment in flux or a time uh, that, you know, is radically changing or opposing, while last year perhaps we were much more talking about notions of gentrification. Now, of course, a totally different topic is dominating the conversation, namely the pandemic. But mm. Yeah, I was um, uh, also thinking about your, your second part on curatorial practice as being some where between score and improvisation and how these relate, I think um, sort of join some of the questions I've been also asking myself in relation to analyzing uh, this kind of work and performance is the notion of experimental practice and how perhaps, I mean, would you, would you think that that is a way that is like an experimental uh, methodology where, whereby you have some kind of structure and then, What's important is that is the movement that goes away from that. Something is set up and then um, it's kind of led to be open and, and unfolded and interpreted as well as, as experimental work would be. Yeah, I'm not so sure, and I don't want to extend myself too much here, but I'm not so sure uh, how much you can score improvisation. And uh, because in both iterations that we organized here of the expanding concert, there were very much surprise reactions taking place. Um, so whereas in the first concert, somebody um, imposed the singing of regional songs, the second concert was harshly interrupted uh, by somebody shouting to stop and uh, to stop a moment of noise improvisation within the group. So I think that these things can't be scripted and I'm not sure mm. how that played out within the Athens experience or within the Castle experience because I didn't follow that closely so but the certain a desire for harmony versus the the, the 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 desire of dissonance or the manifestation of dissonance certainly uh, took place there so yeah not sure if that answers your question so Martin, maybe you can tell us how to, coming from noise and improvisation, you arrived at writing a score. Well, I think about the, the fact that that score at their times uh, really opened up interpretation and challenged also some of the hierarchies in uh, Western music and uh, the notion of uh, the author of which you have been working a lot. So I think that in a way this is a kind of uh, step in. Uh, is it in the first work that you do that you've written? 
No, no, I did want, uh, I did a few, well, just one score for sharing negativity, which was uh, for people, you know, in a small room to share whatever negative thoughts that they will have or, you know, and it will get, you know, transmitted into other rooms and to other. So I've done now kind of just few things, but it became obvious that we are already a score. I mean, there is like, you know, there's like, Improvisation has so many informal rules and acceptance, you know, there is so many kind of informal consensus, you know, that people accept and they just take it for granted. It's just that they don't get explicitly put forward, but it's full of many, many things that you can do, you shouldn't do, you know, there is already a kind of language, you know, there's already a, a, a kind of setup that... Some people are more willing and more open to others, but but then you can find very narrow kind of understandings. It's still called improvisation, but there is a framework which, you know, determines to a certain extent the scope of action or what the action can be. You know, it's, you know whether you want to make it formal or informal is kind of there. And the problem by accepting these informal rules is that it doesn't allow you to question maybe other, you know, the assumptions that generate those informal rules. You know, as I were saying, you know, like certain understanding of freedom, a certain understanding of the individual, you know, a certain understanding of, you know, you know, what is it, what, what you should respect, you know, of my action and what should I respect you? And, you know, like, what's, you know, where is the border, you know, where should I not kind of step over, you know, so, so you cannot, you know, it's very easy to annoy an improviser. It's extremely easy to annoy an improviser, but, I, you, know, <laughs> you know, come to realized. Okay. And the notion of the author, I mean, it's, it's, I think, very important, you know, it's like, at some point I was trying to work anonymously. But then you either go into obscurity or people really try to find out, you know, like what, 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 what we're doing, you know, who was doing what, what we're doing, what, you know, it's just like, so I, I still did wanted to do things and work, you know, so it's like, okay, so I have to cert, accept certain level of authorship, even though I'm, you know, I, I don't agree with it, but if I want to do things, I have to accept it, but that doesn't mean that. I cannot question, you know, what are the underlying kind of parameters, ideologies, uh, agendas, uh, assumptions that hold this notion of authorship, you know, even though in the art world it's being criticized to death, it still comes back because it's, you know, and maybe even stronger, you know, because it's basically what, it's a form of currency where, you know, that the art world needs, you know. So, okay, let's not, be naive about it, which I don't think anybody is by today, but, uh, but it certainly is worth looking into, okay, what is it, what does this really mean? So, so, so then it's like, okay, uh, one can be very play playful with the score. And not only that, it can give you a certain, uh, a certain discipline, which I certainly have many problems with. It can, you know, it's like a form of depersonalization in which, you know, it's not you, you know, it's, it's, you just have to follow an instruction. And that's an extremely powerful thing, you know, because 
it happened to me many times that I was unsure. Oh, can I do this? Should I do this? You know, it's just, you know, like, especially in, in improvised, when I was doing improvised concerts, mm, should I, can I dare to do this? But if somebody is giving you, you have to do this or do this, you know, interpret the score. It's, it's such a powerful um, kind of, it has such an imperative power that is already accepted. It's not, you know, it's like, okay, there's a convention that one should, you know, okay, if I take a score, let's deal with it. And it can allow you to point towards places that you haven't been before. Or, you know, it can allow you to suddenly pose situations that otherwise in a natural, organic way would not take you to in an improvised setting, you know. And from there, you can, you know, a lot of improvisation can occur. And in fact, it's easier probably to arrive at unexpected places than, you know, if you just follow a kind of improvisation which it's already quite dictated by your own practices, by your own taste, by your own kind of uh, vision that can be quite limited too, you know. So there's always a frame and in a social context there's already a sense of normativity in the sense of, you know, accepting certain consensus or certain norms. But the question is can we play with these, make them explicit, kind of disturb them, play with them? And for me, that was, I guess, the idea with this score, to kind of just like try to go into, yeah, maybe the kind of basic assumptions that form consensus or not dissensus, you know? So it's like, okay, let's go for playing with our own notions of what is a lot, you know, what is what should we do in a social situation, you know, let's, what do we consider a social situation in this very prefabricated artificial context? Mm. So there's a, a, a quite nice ambiguity there in the sense that score is a, is a tool, but also the second aspect of, of uh, social dissonance uh, is also noise and the, the fact that, I mean, traditionally we think that it's impossible to score noise in a sense but noise is also a device and you I thought maybe we could also talk a bit more about this idea of noise as device as you framed it yeah yeah it's like precisely because noise kind of is pushing is uh, exceeding perhaps the norms or the norm or forms of normativity or assumptions or even we cannot register it you know it's it has a level of complexity that uh, we don't have the capacity to deal with it. But by trying, one exposes the li our own limitations and you try to engage and understand the complexity of that, which is, you know, you're considering to be noise. And this process of trying to deal with it is is an extremely powerful tool or a device. You know, it just questions our own uh, limitations, you know, very strongly. And I mean, I'm very influenced by the work of Cecil Malaspina, especially when she talks about, you know, she just deals with noise in, she wrote this book on the epistemology of noise and she deals with it in different, you know, kind of realms uh, like economy, biology, information theory, yeah, and psychology. And, and, and this was mm -hmm. really great because she brings up this essay by Sansan Rete uh, from 86 on the mental state of noise. And there is like, okay, they're discovering 
certain pathologies that have to do with patients that their self-conception, you know, their, their, their selfhood, the notion of selfhood is dissolving. And, you know, it's what they call the mental state of noise, you know, because the boundaries are totally diffused, you know. And for me, that was okay. You know, what I'm talking about is a micro level of this mental state of noise. It's, uh, you know, it's like a, you know, smaller, you know, it's still, we try, we hold it, we can hold it, we can still be social to a certain extent, but it's always creeping in. So, and and, and I think we can see more and more that noise is a very important term, it's becoming very important term in different realms, precisely because the level of complexity that we are achieving is, is really overwhelming. And then it's just like, okay, how... You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it makes you humble. You know, in, you know, it's like, okay, how do we deal with these different forms of noise? You know, what are, you know, what do do we, what tools do we have to deal with them? You know, and, and and rather than you know just taking it as in the 2000s or you know when noise you know was a musical you know like it was used and I use it very much as a kind of sound tool for aesthetic purposes, uh, you know, another this, you know, to try to generate kind of strange experiences. Now, maybe it's a way, which I think Ray puts puts it very well in the preface for the book um, of the social dissonance, you know, which is, so it's no longer about the estrangement, uh, the, the, the experience of estrangement, but to a strange experience, to try to kind of basically understand what experience is, you know, like kind of, okay, like, you know, we cannot take for granted this notion of experience mm. to, you know, basically question and deal with, you know, just basically certain assumptions that we had that, you know, they, they might be very problematic. And I think that's the way that I understand noise as device, as a way to understand these assumptions and to, you know, to deal with them. Elena or Toby, did you want to bounce on on this idea of uh, of noise or other reflections? No, I was more thinking about uh, well, what you were saying about noise and complexity and uh, the notion of experience and how this is kind of problematic in a way. Well, there is something which I'm struggling with at the moment and which uh, is linked to the form score because I also work with scores. So I'm trying to kind of understand the limit of the score as a form. And so I'm sorry if I put into this conversation something which uh, is kind of I'm thinking about at the moment. But one of the things that I question in the score form is the fact that this complexity and also the notion of experience is kind of neutral. And um, the, the subject to which the score is addressed is always a neutral subject, often, almost always a neutral subject. Uh, so a subject that has no gender, has no race, uh, uh, no social class, no origins, no disabilities. And, and this is particularly problematic for me since... Um, for example, in my case, I work on walking in public space, and we know that urban planning and public space is always uh, a system that uh, reflects and reinforces dominant social relationships. So this view of the score becomes problematic in a way, 
because so I'm trying to see if there are scores that try to denaturalize this uh, this view, this subject that has to do stuff in uh, in the score. Uh, also, because as a feminist, I'm I'm always trying to situate myself and to state the symbolic position from where I speak, following you know the notion of uh, situated knowledge is uh, introduced by Donna Arway and other feminist theorists, but. What I find it difficult to situate, it is the, the situate this view to which uh, the author of the score is writing, which in a way is homogeneous view, uh, this universal view to which most of the score are addressed, is a way of concealing the complexity and the difference and the disequalities also um, that uh, are present in our society. So since social dissent was really about it, I wonder how this um, neutral view, how, how do you felt about this view the score was addressed to? And how do you imagine the performers or the participants in social discipline, social dissonance, sorry, in relationship with, the, with this? And also since I guess you have seen so many videos and so many performances, and since uh, so many different people performed uh, this or were participated in, the, in uh, this extended concert, how do you think the power relationships, this kind of power relationship came to the surface? Yeah, these are very good points. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. Mm, this you is, uh, I think it's very interesting between the concrete and situated position and a more kind of a generalized form. And and I think what I'm trying, and this is kind of tricky, but because I think the situated, you know, I mean, the situated kind of you that comes about is produced also, I mean, it's, it's also produced by certain forms of interpolation, you know, like, so so I guess in the in the book, I, I kind of go as far as I can to dismantle the notion of the individual, you know, the, you know, the liberal notion of the individual, you know. And I think uh, this has to do with the way that capitalism is, on the one hand, it allows for certain individuals to feel that they are kind of subjects, that they have certain uh, agency, of course, by the oppression of others, so it, can, it produces this kind of double, you know, that some subject, you know, some individuals are presented to be subjects while others are absolutely not. But under different conditions, I think these forms of identification, either, you know, by the, the, the one that it feels the subject or, you know, the one that is very, very oppressed, you know, they will be very extremely different. You know, we cannot take it for granted. And I think what I'm trying to, you know, the Jew is, is, is a very playful or misused or like kind of, it's a tool, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of container, it's a bit of a trap, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's like this Jew for me is a trap, you know, it's a trap that we all are part of, which we cannot take it for granted and we need to deal with it. And then it's like, okay, how do we deal with it? I mean, 
it is true that thinking back and you know it's like the language of the of the score maybe it's very gendered you know the whole presentation of it is you know maybe gendered and maybe it already you know it reveals quite maybe a lot about you know where i'm coming from but hopefully it's also a tool or you know it's a proposition or it's just like a attempt to deal with all these issues you know like kind of and and i guess in the process of doing it these questions come into into being dealt with in the score or they can you know it's like i mean i think one important thing about this score is you know to like the background and foreground to be this division to be dissolved so anything could become part of you know one could also see that it's an extreme form of extractivism but and here maybe the temporal kind of part comes into it i was very like oh should i put these videos on youtube or not you know but it's um but it's material, you know, it's material that once you have, you, you, you can do something with material. I mean, there are many problems with it, but, you know, and that's why for me this conversation is very important because all these questions are complex and we don't have an overview or we have a very limited possibility to try to understand. But by having this material with time, we can deal with them in in uh you know taking time you know which you know these questions i think they're very or at least i find them extremely complex and and difficult and i don't i still feel that i'm part of you know a kind of bubble or you know kind of some kind of uh, frame or of mine or something that it doesn't allow me to understand so well you know what is it that happened what is it that it was, and uh, um, and what 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 can we do? What, what what is it to be? You know, what can we do with this material? But I mean, certainly these questions are um, crucial, and they're coming. They're coming because maybe at that time it was not that obvious, but maybe now they're becoming more obvious. But also, they're extreme for me. There's a very uh, important document of its. You know, 2017. You know, it's like. You know, it's, it's now it feels so far away. You know, it's like mm. things have changed, and you know, like when will it be possible to do something like this? I mean, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I'm interested in that kind of temporal taking time to try to work out all these issues. I was also thinking about the breaking of hierarchies through noise, the breaking of harmonies through noise, the breakup of traditional perhaps scores through noise. On the other hand, I mean, artists like Arthur Lindsay, they also brought noise into traditional contexts like the carnival in Brazil, for example. So there's also this sort of mixture, uh, I suppose, between uh, noise and traditional folklore. But what I was interested in and what we discussed also during Martin's last performance here in uh, Lisbon was this notion of the score as something that is uh, perhaps too directive and uh, something that also has a sort of a dictatorial stance to it, no? Um, the idea of the dissonance as a reaction towards a directive, 
uh, a directive that is perhaps imposed and uh, that has uh, dictatorial notions to it. And I mean, we have here um, done away with uh, dictatorship in, in 74 only when the Carnation Revolution broke and the Salazar regime fell. And, and, and we have to put that in a, in a perspective, uh, in a European perspective, perhaps in a Western European perspective, where this is one of the last or the youngest uh, democracies in a way. So uh, also within some of the more recent uh, performances of Martin in Berlin, there was this uh, moment of divide within the group, also within the first uh, performance of the expanding concert, where the, these questions were clearly posed by the artist about, are you going to follow this group or, or are you going to follow that group? Are you following this uh, this um, opinion or are you following another opinion are you do you think life will be better do you think life will be worse uh, kind of um, make a decision now kind of uh, imposition that uh, puts the participant into a place where they have to decide whether they want or not I think uh, this is perhaps something that we can still talk about within the idea of dissonance and, and, and noise, which for me somehow is related to anarchism. So we have on the one hand this idea of anarchism and on the other hand we have this idea of strict scoring and uh, strict uh, direction uh, in a way. So they are very uh, opposing poles. Uh, I'm not sure if the other uh, curators and thinkers in this conversation here would agree with me uh, on this analysis within the work of our esteemed artist. <laughs> well, I think that what's interesting, uh, as I pointed to before, is, is actually that tension between the two or the kind of ambiguous relationship that happens there. And maybe that, that that's why there's, maybe there's a, a kind of like back and forth between the two, I mean, perhaps that's the tension that is actually allowing something to happen. Yeah, to me, I have to say that probably the score was not perceived as so authoritative because uh, it proposes a kind of work, which is something that I do anyway in an, at all, all the time. What was more authoritative was the kind of apparatus or uh, the dispositive where we were put in. So in a way, I think that score just put some words on something that I always think, think about and that I always live in my everyday life, the, the words of the score. So it was not, and it was kind of really, really extremely open. And then uh, in a way, mm, I think also the role of the uh, performer even uh, diluted in a way, the agencies that Martin had on the score itself and on its uh, realization, in a way. Uh, but the dispositive itself was kind of uh, more like uh, authoritative. So the fact that we were closed for an hour in a space uh, and that uh, there was a camera on us that was streaming our performance, so we knew that there were people looking at us and uh, Martin was uh, probably looking at us as well. And since I know him, this was for me like a sort of uh, constraint in a way, or I was kind of uh, influenced by the fact that uh, I felt his gaze, although maybe he wasn't there, but 
And also the fact that uh, we were connected with another space. I was in Athens and there were people in Kassel that were connected with us. The fact that uh, there were, in my case, for example, that was music that was uh, diffused at a certain time, at a certain point. So all this was really constructed. And maybe mm, I think that situation, that physical situation uh, was like more authoritative rather than the, the words of the score, the score itself. For me, in my personal experience, well, personal experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I felt that as well. It's a, good, it's a really good point. And so I was, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I was, uh, when I was preparing for this, I noted a few things. And one of the was a sentence from the preface as well of your text that you sent. Um, and there was a note, note where it said that about the suspension of clear cut roles where people explore their own conditioning. And I was wondering, uh, Martin, how you would, uh, in the performance that we are discussing now, that how would you, Describe your observation of the participants. How much do you think they explore their own conditioning? How much do they uh, manage to step out of the confined boundaries of their self? Uh, how much do they allow themselves to get lost within this potential possibility to explore their own conditioning? Mm, and the I, dimensions of collective social agency or intersubjectivity. It, it was extremely clear um, you know, with time, it became very clear, you know, for example, when people try to be, try to take over, you know, to basically show themselves as like, oh, look, you know, how, you know, look how clever I am, or like the, the person who makes jokes, you know, like it would be, it, 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 any contribution will help the tension to either increase which tension was directly linked to attention that, you know, three people will suddenly, we will measure what was happening in the room according to the level of density of the atmosphere, you know, which is connected to tension, to attention, to, you know, oh, it's happening something unexpected or it's happening, it's going somewhere where uh, people feel engaged. And I guess we needed that kind of enclosed framework to have a kind of focus atmosphere and that people feel that they're part of something. And it was very uh, noticeable when somebody, you know, would either reinforce themselves or trying to dissipate this tension by making a joke that, you know, was not maybe very funny, you know, or there will be contributions that try to basically engage with the strange elements of the atmosphere or, or, or what was happening or to try to understand or to try to be part of whatever social situation is happening. And then you will be able to measure very, very clearly and to feel, okay, now it's really something is happening. And I think people, you know, definitely... At the very last 10 minutes, it was like a kind of honest reflection on what has happened. And often there, you could see that, okay, people are trying together to make sense of what happened, you know. It was not difficult to actually identify when something 
or when someone was willing to open or to 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 engage with whatever was happening in 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 a way that it was not the kind of uh, conventional way or that it, it was trying to understand the non-conventionality of what was going on or to try to engage with the the atmosphere that it was happening it, it, but I th so yeah i think people you know maybe you know they were taken by surprise or you know it's, it's like or or you know but i think i do think many people were i mean i'm sure many people hated it because i mean <laughs> i guess the most common adjectives that i got is oh it's so uncomfortable you know or it's so embarrassing or it was so long or you know like you know like really but hopefully produce some thinking you know hopefully you know it's uh you know i i need to deal with this tension between authoritative and non-authoritative you know but you know i guess as i mentioned coming from improvisation where you are extremely suspicious of any form of authority but as i said before you know we live in a system that it has a level of authority that determines you know our lives and our presence our future you know it's, it's like to just think to assume that yourself as an individual can challenge in any way this overpowering form of authority with certain understanding of of non-hierarchical kind of ideas and that this can be extended or can be accepted is uh, is part of the social dissonance that I mentioned to you that I mentioned before, and I think that's the problem that I have from anarchism. Coming from anarchism, I came to realize that it takes for granted that there is this possibility of that we all can be equal, or that we all can be respected, or that there is some kind of form of social responsibility that if I take it, is already there, and I think if and and I'm by default anybody could. Take it. That's absolutely a fallacy. You know, it's, it's uh, the the crucial uh, contradiction of anarchism. It's interesting that they very often, you know, sometimes you know, or very, or, you know, or there is many cases that people go anarchists go into describing social relations in pre-modern kind of situations, you know, and take them as oh, here there was a level of har harmony. But anarchism is a very modern concept you know it's, it's come you know it comes out of the french and without the enlightenment and the french revolution you know this was not possible it, it, you know this is an open power you know it's it's a total enlightenment form of idea but it's also extremely close to you know liberalism you know it's a, it's a radical form of liberalism if you want but the question is like okay what what is it you know what 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 conditions allow this thought to emerge and now, especially, we can see this anarchism on the right, you know, the far right, anarchism on what is supposed to be the far left. But it's the presuppose that, you know, as we individuals, we can have the ability to dictate our course of action. And it's, and you know, and you will be confronted constantly with a reality that is going to tell you otherwise. This kind of non-hierarchical approach in conditions of extreme hierarchical divisions and inequalities is 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 part of the social dissonance that I'm talking about is uh, and it's one of the most maybe acute you know and that's why you know like coming from improvisation that at the micro level is assuming 
this form of agency, you know, is, is uh, I guess I'm sensitive to it because I come from that and I was totally sold in this belief. And I thought that this was, you know, oh, yeah, here you can express whatever, you you know, without the forms of determination. And then you you realize this is just ideology. It's just pure ideology. But I understand that, especially in today's times, you know, with fascism growing more and more, especially after the pandemic, when people spend more time in online and we can see that in different countries, you know, I mean, in Spain, Vox, the right far right party is the one that is increasing the most. But then we can get into, you know, like the demonstrations in which you see, you know, like anti-mask kind of demonstrations where you see the some kind of far right connected to, you know, uh, yeah, and, and I don't want to make this analogy, but it's just like, oh, wow, wow this is uh, kind of crazy what's going on. That was a, an interesting question, Toby, and perhaps I didn't quite realize it straight away in the performance, but perhaps afterwards, I think uh, it was perhaps one of my problem with it in the sense that because our session was quite focused about on sexuality because of that topic I mentioned earlier, the discussion that unfolded within the group actually tended to reinforce the usual conversation and the usual problems that occurs in society around sexuality and the role that people had in that conversation or what we would project on people speaking about it, um, whether they were uh, heterosexual, whether they were in the performance as a couple or not. And it actually tended to create this sort of feedback loop that was almost sort of like impossible to, to, to break. And so instead of on sort of opening a space for like other kinds of reflections or cautiousness to happen, it sort of tended to reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think maybe that's, can, I feel like that was very specific to what the topic was and how the conversation sort of went into at that moment. And the last thing I was thinking about in terms of this question of scoring uh, and authority and authoring, I was wondering, Martin, if you are now, how are you thinking your position in that sense? And is this why you, you're perhaps working towards more collective modes of authoring? Yeah, well, it's the, it comes back very strongly. I mean, it's very difficult to, yeah, for example, if, if, you, if you set up a framework and then you invite other people, it's very difficult to generate a kind of collective, you know, situation. But it's, a, it's very, very tricky. It's, I mean, you can try to, but the stakes are different, you know, it's a, there's a level, you know, it's a, it's a, the stakes are to a certain extent different. So it's very, very difficult. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I love it. I mean, for me, it's extremely important to collaborate, but, I, I, you know, it's not easy and it's not, I would love to try, you know, more, but one has to be honest and understand that the specific questions that I'm coming from, you know, maybe other people are not so interested in, you know, or the other way around, you know. So it's a, maybe this is an important kind of thing. I don't know. Now, uh, now I'm working. I will be working on a anti-fascist score, which is even though a more, even more of a contradiction, you know, like kind of how do you do? It's precisely because of the dictatorial or whatever, you know, imperative qualities of a score, you know, how to 
do a anti-fascist score, you know, that's, that's uh, and I put myself in a kind of nightmarish situation, I must say, uh, mm. that I, I'm trying to resolve, but I don't know how this would occur. Mm. Elena, I saw you bringing a book. <laughs> I was just wondering, yeah, well, there is something you wanted to say. Yeah, I was thinking about what Martin was saying, um, well, in relationship with the contradictions in anarchism and uh, this idea, well, what we were talking about in relationship with the um, social dissonance and uh, what the, this discussion uh, made me think of uh, is actually a book which actually was also a little bit the framework uh, with which I came to that performance because uh, when I went there, the references I had in relationship with the title was this book that was written by Susan Bickford, maybe you know it, The Dissonance of Democracy. It's a book, she's a politologist and, uh, well, while many works in this field focus on shared speech as a political practice, her book is kind of one of the first attempts to analyze the role of listening in, uh, in politics or to analyze uh, for the forms of political listening. And actually, she stressed the conflictual character of politics, the fact that politics is always made, uh, well, it's always uh, agonistic uh, in the sense of Chantal Mouffe. Uh, uh, so it's always determined by our differences and inequalities. And uh, she stresses that what makes, makes uh, politics possible is first of all, uh, listening. And I think that what I missed uh, during uh, social dissonance is actually this listening attitude. Because as you said, there were so many people that were trying to overcome the uh, fragility and the frustration and the discomfort of this situation by uh, finding interesting things to do without listening, uh, listening to what was going on. While the first things that the score required was like, listen to the situation. I think that was the most difficult part to uh, realize in the performance, at least in my case, in, uh, during uh, the, um, the concert where I, where I took part as an instrument. <laughs> so I was trying to look at one of the quotes that I like in this, uh, in this book and I found it. And it is, uh, well, she, she says, uh, to highlight the role of listening is to confront the intersubjective character of politics. Communication inherently presupposes different beings and the possibility of something between them. So it points to both separatedness and relatedness. Because if we automatically consign the format and not very differentiated wall, we will not need to speak or listen or argue. So communication is an effort that acknowledges more than one, a separatedness, a difference that may be the source of conflict. And at the same time, foregrounds the possibility of bridging that gap by devising a means of uh, relatedness. So this idea that we are defined both by our uh, situatedness and also our capacity of choice. So we can, in a way, overcome the fact that we are situated by our capacity of choice, but that we are still situated. So we cannot find the consensual position, but we have to deal with the dissensus, we have to deal with dissonance, we have to deal with conflict. And what she proposed is that listening is the basis 
to find, at least to understand that conflict, at least to try to find a way, a democratic way of dealing with that conflict. So in our terms, this democratic way of dealing with com uh, conflict is create a situation where all voices can be heard, all the different voices can be heard in the same way. So I, I'm thinking about the role listening in that score and how this was missing in the concert where, where it took part. Maybe this can help us to understand also the subject of uh, social dissonance in a way, I don't know. That, that, that was really helpful. And I, and I agree, you know, like the score fell already in the first, you know, by trying to apply, that was the less successful. I totally agree with that. Already by that, you know, it's like it it was not successful in the, in that sense. Maybe it was not it's it's not an score that attempts to be successful. But um, but I think it's it's interesting. I agree with many things, but I guess the underlying problem within the social dissonance is the idea of democracy. You know that it's it, it that is possible that in conditions of inequality democracy is possible. And when you were talking, it made me think, reflecting back to your previous point and question, okay, I'm trying to question the notion of the individual or how is this the notion of the individual uh, conceived and what kind of assumptions it takes. And, uh, okay, uh, maybe it's a problem to believe that as an individual, you already have certain agency in these conditions. But it is also a problem to assume that in these conditions, you can exceed or go beyond how you are already formed or socially determined by a society, by your own position. This is something that is taking me, you know, it's just like, okay, it's very difficult because, you know, it's, it cannot be one or the other. You cannot just presuppose that you can just like break through all these form of determinations you as a socially determined subject is maybe too much to say you know that it's possible to break from it from the ways that you are already you know being perceived by the majority of everybody and here is something that i'm trying to make sense and it's uh, kind of complex but it's i kind of, I kind of uh, call it i call it dissociative unity and it has to do with the way that in capitalism there is a unity at the level of the exchange abstraction when we engage in any kind of economic situation. There is a way in which there is a unitary kind of uh, system that produces homogeneity and homogeneous empty time and it, it is, is equi equate to each other. But simultaneously, it, at the level of consciousness, it produces fragmentation. So it's a, it's a kind of, it does, at the level, the, what we do and what we engage with in our everyday life is unifying. It's, it's a system that is more and more towards unity and, you know, exchangeability. But at the level of consciousness, what this is happening is producing more and more fragmentation. And um, this has to do with the subject-object relationship that I, I kind of talked a bit before, uh, in relationship to anarchism, kind of presupposing that you can already be a subject. But capitalism had constantly that kind of, on the one hand, at the level of consciousness, was producing the idea that one can be a subject, 
by making others being objects or by forms of oppression. But this subject had to differentiate from the object. It had to make this kind of cut at the level of consciousness, but it's, 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 it's not... It's not real, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's at the level of ideology, but it constantly needs to kind of make the person or whatever, you know, that, you know, like believe that it can really, you know, have some agency, have some capacity to act, some, you know, distance, you know, it's like, oh, I can do things because it's what it moves, the kind of, it's, it's what it moves capitalism forward. But at the overall level, you know, what is the subject is capital. In the sense that is what is producing every form of determination in our social relations. So it's like it's unifying. Capitalism is kind of constantly unifying. But when it comes down to what we believe we do, by trying to believe that we are subjects in opposition to objects, you know, and to make this differentiation, it's a constant more and more fragmentation that makes it much more difficult to, you know, actually really be able to challenge the unitary power of capitalism, if you know what I mean. It's the preconditions for the social dissonance to occur. And I think the social dissonance are the symptoms of this process. Yeah, I think it's interesting also in relation to capitalism in, in the context of sleeplessness, because Jonathan Crary in his book 24-7 and the end of sleep articulates that impossibility to act and also to form a, a, a collective action is is linked to the the fact that we feel that impossibility of being human because the production of capital is so much beyond the human that us as human, when we have this realization, that's what creates this fracture, this sort of fragmentation uh, in us as individuals. Yeah. Just very quickly, I will be interested, like you saw uh, kind of direct relationships to, you know, what you're experiencing social dissonance and the project that you're doing in relationship to sleep, apart from what you just said, uh, were there something that mm. make you a relationship or? Well, it was, um, I guess it was more an intuition. Um, so that's why I was kind of interested in, in unpacking it. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's quite focused on that, what I just said, which is a very sort of meta level. So, yeah, I think it, it is connected on that sort of meta sense, but not really directly but i think what you are proposing in terms of social dissonance can be interesting to then use as a framework to understand other things um i think it's really relevant because it is so grounded in in social political and, and artistic realm like at the same time and i mean crary also speaks of this idea of post-employment capitalism no and this idea of sleeplessness as something that is related to the notion of always working. Yeah. And in that respect, I think also this participatory or collective engagement that Martin is proposing is uh, something that pulls us back into um, the collective notion of working together, of being together rather than being alone and in front of our screens and isolated. Mm -hmm. Of course, Crary couldn't preview uh, the pandemic, uh, but uh, I think there is something of a notion of resistance towards this post-employment capitalism that Crary has been talking about in his 2013 publication of 24-7. Yeah, it's a dissolution, the sort of further dissolution between the social and 
and the work and and how that sort of gets even more uh, complicated today with, um, as we were talking before with Elena, how we are constrained in our homes in a lockdown and, and the work, uh, our, our, the lockdown is more about our personal freedom rather than other forms. And so that impacts also that relationship between labor and sociality. Well, maybe we'll um, wave goodbye. And um, I just really wanted to thank you again uh, for making the time uh, this morning to speak. And I'm sure this will lead to uh, too many more conversations. This recording was produced by Mara Shrepker for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Boon Wurrung and Hoi Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. To learn more head to liquidarchitecture.org.au